good morning. Good to be with you. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up to John chapter 16. We're going to wrap up uh, this chapter this morning. So I'm glad to be able to do that next week. I'm going to be starting a new teaching series called The Name and Fame of Jesus Christ. And it'll take us through Easter and a little bit beyond. It'll, uh, it will finish up the Gospel of John. So, man, it's uh, in about three, three years. It's been good in the Gospel of John. Amen. Can we celebrate that for a moment? Some of you are like, all right, let's get another book going. Uh, hey, this morning, I, 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 um, I can't believe it. Um, you know, last week, gosh, I was not feeling well, and so I called Trent Renner. He did a great job. I watched two services online. Uh, I saw that it was a great time, um, but I'm feeling better now, and so we're looking forward to this morning's message. I'm going to have to cover a lot of content, so we're going to move a little quicker uh, because I missed a Sunday and I wanted to go ahead and finish. So here's what we're going to do this morning. Um, I can't believe it. I'm watching the Super Bowl this afternoon. I'm not the biggest football guy in the world. I usually just cheer for the Cardinals. And then there's another pro team. It's probably the Cowboys because I was born in Dallas and all that good stuff. But I don't know. My son sent me a, a testimonial of uh, Brock Purdy uh, and just kind of got to see his faith and I was pretty inspired by it, so I'm humbled to say I think this will be the first time I'm going to cheer for the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, eat your heart out, well, you know. Uh, but watch this testimony of Brock Purdy and listen how he talks about the Holy Spirit in his faith. Um, check this out. About your faith? Brock, let me ask you a question about your faith Jesus. How you doing? Doing good. How you doing? Good. Tell me about scripture this year, some of the Bible verses that you've been reading and passages that's maybe helped you this year. Yeah, this year for me, it's been Psalm 23. Um, yeah, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And then it goes on. But um, for me, you know, playing this game, playing this sport, there's a lot that goes into it. And, you know, you can... It's easy to get wrapped up in, you know, wanting and feeling like wanting to be loved, you know, obviously by your teammates and everybody, but like the world. And so um, for me, like in that in that passage, it's talking about, you know, I already have what I need from from the Good Shepherd and, and Jesus. So um, I don't know. I've just been studying Psalm 23 uh, throughout the whole whole season and been going back to it. It's what I start off with actually every single day. I just read off Psalm 23 to myself before I start start off with some solitude and, and then I go about my day. I talked to your dad a couple days ago. He said he prays his guts out when he watches you play. Yeah. Do you pray when you're playing during a game? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, you know, and it's not, can we, you know, God, can we win here? Can, can we right. do something great here? It's it's more just to have that, that peace, that steadfastness in, in all the chaos. That's really what it is. It's sinking back into like Holy Spirit, you know, take over and and lead me here in this moment and allow me to think clearly, allow me to, you know, obviously go. Brock, let me ask you. All right. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Uh, one of the things that he said in there that I thought was really uh, interesting was he talked about the Holy Spirit really just giving him peace and clarity in the midst of the game and how he prayed in the moment. And I think that's so important as a believer that when, whenever you're going through something, you don't need to think to yourself, I've got to set aside this prayer time in order to pray. It's like pray in it. Pray in the transaction. Pray in the conflict. Pray in the meeting. Like pray while you're driving. You can, you can be able to encounter and experience God's presence through the power of the Holy Spirit uh, in the moment. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning just for the presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of each and every believer here. Thank you so much for the Word of God and the specific teaching from you, Jesus Christ, that we're going to receive, um, that you left for us so that we might understand this life and to have it to the fullest. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Uh, the context is Thursday night, it's in Jerusalem. Friday night, Jesus Christ will be crucified. Uh, he will be buried uh, Friday. He'll be in the tomb on Saturday. And on Sunday, he will rise again. The disciples don't see it. Uh, they don't fully understand it. 
Jesus has shared so much about uh, all that's going to happen. The scene is set. The dis- disciples are discouraged. They are not filled with faith and confidence and courage at this point in time as we pick up in the text. Um, it is the Last Supper has already occurred. Um, Judas has already betrayed him. Jesus has already washed the disciples' feet. He's instructed about communion. Uh, he has taught on the Holy Spirit. And in your Bible, um, if you would look at it, it starts really in John chapter 14, and it moves all the way to 16 as a long section actually about the Holy Spirit. A lot of teaching about the Holy Spirit by Jesus Christ is right there. It's some of the most important teaching on the Holy Spirit because it's Jesus himself communicating these things to us as disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, um, I think sometimes what we can do is we can look in our Bibles and see those subheadings and think, okay, well, the subheading says, uh, you know, Jesus overcomes the world or uh, Jesus instructs his disciples, but it doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit anymore. Therefore, we're not talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, you need to know those subheadings are not divinely inspired placed subheadings. Um, those were put in hundreds of years later after the scripture was recorded. Furthermore, the chapters and the verses are not divinely inspired numbers set into your New Testament. Um, what is divinely inspired and authoritative is the words that are written in the scriptures. But in the original manuscripts, it's like a continuous section of scripture. And sometimes that's really helpful because it helps you to understand a long flow of concept. And what I would argue this morning is everything we're going to finish up in John chapter 16 is actually about the Holy Spirit. Um, and so. Uh, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at, uh, I've broken it down like this for you note takers. We're starting in verse 16. Um, But the first thing that we're going to see is that there is a plan. And the plan is according to Jesus. And so everything I'm going to be teaching you, if it's in your Bible and it's in red, that's Jesus. And uh, so this is really, really good content because it's Jesus specifically speaking here. And Jesus has a plan about the Holy Spirit. I've got eight different points, and I'll try to move through these. Um, But he says this. He says, in a little while, you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, you'll see me. Uh, Some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, you will not see me. And again, in a little while, and you will see me. And then they add, help me out, because I'm going to the what? The Father. Good job. And if you're at home watching this, get your Bible out because you're going to need it. Um, So there's a couple of different interpretations as to kind of what is Jesus talking about. He says, um, you know, what does he mean? A little while and you will see me no longer. and, And again, you will see me. Well, in the immediate context, you would obviously think that it's probably the cross, right? And I mean, I think that's fair to say, because in a little while, um, he's going to be crucified. I mean, it is late into Thursday night. He's going to be arrested uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, and and he's going to be arrested and taken away. And I believe, yes, absolutely, he's talking about the the, the arrest and his crucifixion, and a little, he'll, he'll be gone. Um, and then he says, in a little while, you'll see me. Um, well, from there, you would say, oh, well, they're going to see him again, if you know the story, right? They're going to see him at the resurrection. They're going to see him later at the empty tomb. And I, I do think that is true. However, I would also argue, I believe that this is in reference to the coming of the Holy Spirit. In other words, I think what Jesus is saying within the whole context, hey, is in a little while you're not going to see me because I'm going to the cross. Yes, he's going to be crucified. But in a little while longer, you're going to see me in a whole new way. Um, And you say, well, how do you get to that conclusion, Pastor Ryan? Uh, Look in your Bible, if you will. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 17. Um, these, this is the disciples, look at that tail end phrase, 
because I'm going, help me out, to the what? If you look back in your Bible, look at verse 5. He talks about going again. He says, but now I'm going to him who sent me. He's talking about he, is a, he will ascend into heaven. He will be with the Father. And then in verse 7, again, if you'll look, uh, in John chapter 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth that it is to your advantage I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What's my point? My point is the plan according to Jesus is the Holy Spirit. The plan according to Jesus is that the Holy Spirit is going to show up in a powerful new way. And the disciples are sad because Jesus is leaving. But Jesus is saying, in a little while you're not going to see me. I'll be crucified. But in a little while you'll see me again in an incredibly whole new way. The context is the Holy Spirit. So does it mean that they're going to see him in the res- in the, after the resurrection? Yes, they will. But it means as well they're going to see him and the Spirit of Christ will be with them as he is with us today. John chapter 14 says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Uh, furthermore, in the Great Commission, I'll, let me mention this to you and help you understand that if you experience the Holy Spirit in your life, you're actually experiencing the presence and the power of Christ as well. Um, in, in the Great Commission, Jesus later, he will give, he says, all authority in heaven has been given to you. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. Go in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's saying, you go in the Trinitarian power, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what he says. And then he says, closes out, and he says, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Well, guess what? Jesus in the flesh is not with the disciples. Jesus in the flesh is not with me and you but the Spirit of Christ is. That's what Paul calls it in Romans. So there's this interchange in Jesus' framework of mind is even though bodily God the Son is not with the disciples, God the Spirit is with him. And by the way, the job of the Holy Spirit is to magnify and to bear witness of Jesus Christ. So in other words, what you need to know is you say to yourself, man, it would be nice if I could see Jesus face to face. It would be nice I could believe. It would be nice if Jesus just showed up in my life. Well, guess what? He's saying, hey, listen, it was to your advantage that I go away because you get to experience me and encounter me in a whole new way. Amen? So, so the, the plan is, according to Jesus, is that you have the Spirit of Christ with you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the, secondly, what we're going to see is the perplexity of the disciples. These guys are confused. Uh, they're constantly confused. Verses 18 through 20, look in your scriptures, if you will. It says, um, so they were saying, well, what does he mean by a little while uh, we do not know what he's talking about. Uh, there's confusion in the room. Uh, they don't really get it, and they're confused. Uh, this conversation appears to be a conversation the disciples are having, and Jesus is really not even a part of the conversation. So it's like the disciples are like, what's he talking about? And uh, they're having some dialogue about this, and they're perplexed. And I think this is good news for you and me is because as believers, right, we can read the Bible, we can go to church, you can hear a sermon, and you can still kind of walk away and go, man, I was, I'm still a little confused. I, I still don't get it entirely. Um, Jesus responds, verse 19. Look what it says. This shows his omniscience. Uh, he's all-knowing. He reads minds. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him, so he said, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while you will see me? And they're probably like, yeah, busted. Yes, uh, that's exactly what's going on here. Uh, he knew, uh, because he reads minds, because he's all-knowing, he didn't need to hear them. It didn't say Jesus overheard, it just says Jesus knew. And so, verse 20, Jesus 
kind of gives a prophetic word here. Um, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, uh, but the world will, will rejoice. Um, the disciples are perplexed, they're frustrated, and Jesus says, you're going to weep and lament. Well, why are they going to weep and lament? Because the cross. The cross is the symbol of shame. That would be like your leader, the one you love, uh, is going to be executed in an electric chair. Uh, Jesus is emotionally preparing them and giving them a, an understanding of what it means to encounter hardship and suffering. And today, I'm going to do the same thing with you. I, I think there's some really powerful truth here that can help you prepare for an understanding suffering, pain, hardship. Jesus gives a prophetic warning ahead of time. He says, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. What's he talking about there? What he's talking about is that there will be many people that are very thrilled that Jesus the Messiah is crucified. Um, the Pharisees, uh, uh, the Roman soldiers that mocked and scoffed, there was a lot of people that were very grateful that Jesus Christ was crucified because he was a threat to the Roman Empire. He was a threat uh, to, to the stability of Judaism. And so many people rejoice. Jesus communicates this. Uh, he prepares them. The disciples are still perplexed. And then thirdly, Jesus doesn't live, leave them there. Look what he does is he provides for them what I'm going to call the principle of transformation. This is probably the most important part of the sermon today uh, because it, it helps you to understand how hardship and suffering comes into the life of a believer and how the Lord wants to transform those things. Um, verses 20b through 22, you'll read in your scripture, um, help me finish it, uh, you will be sorrowful, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into what? Joy. Um, a couple things here is first, what, what does he mean by joy? Uh, joy, you know, perhaps is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So meaning like if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you get this wonderful thing in your life. The Holy Spirit begins to bear fruit in your life. It's like virtues, like wonderful character, Christ-like character. You, you get a sense of joy that comes into your life. And it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. This joy that is mentioned here is greater than happiness. When we think of happiness, oftentimes happiness is associated with the happenings. If my job went well today, if I closed a deal, if I made the sales, if the kids behaved, if nobody is sick. You, do you see what I'm saying? We oftentimes in our mind associate happiness with things going as planned. And this is deeper than that. Um, happiness is about happenings. Joy, I believe, is this deep-rooted relationship with Jesus Christ that there's a gratitude in your life that, that God is with you and that he loves you and that you're in a position and a place and you have a connection with him. There's a joy that comes. And this is the kind of joy that you see when you see these people that are on their deathbeds. And they have terminal cancer or something. And then you see them and you go to the hospital. And they teardrops come down their face. And they talk about the joy and the presence of God. And you're thinking to yourself, how? How could you have this? Um, that is a supernatural kind of joy that God wants to transform the sorrow into that. Uh, that is joy. Jesus says your sorrow, um, look in your scripture um, in the English Standard Version. It says it's going to turn into joy. This is the best part. The meaning of the word turn into means, it means to undergo a change. Um, the meaning of the word turn into does not mean 
replacement. In other words, give me that phone and I'll give you this water bottle. Uh, Jesus doesn't replace the sorrow with the joy. He doesn't remove the sorrow. I'll take that phone from you. Give it to me. He doesn't take the sorrow. He says, I'm going to turn the sorrow into joy. I'm going to take that, transform it, give it back to you. You got it. And it's going to be brand new. That is what's going on here. So what this means to me and what this means in the rest of the New Testament writers is that the suffering can become the most incredible blessing. The pain can become the point of pleasure. That in the hardship, there's an incredible blessing because there's meaning and purpose to it. And so what happens if people don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, when suffering comes and pain comes, there's no meaning to it. But you should know as a believer that there's meaning behind everything. That everything you do has a purpose and there's God that's working in it. And so the pain has a purpose. And so Jesus says it's going to turn into something. Jesus gives a birth illustration. He says what's amazing here again, he doesn't substitute the pain. He doesn't take the pain. He, and then give the joy, he transforms the pain into pleasure. And he gives a birth illustration. How many young moms do we have in the room that have had some kids here? Raise your hands. God bless you. God be with you. How many of you uh, guys, um, how many of you guys uh, think that you could understand that pain? You would not be wise to raise your hand right now. I had a buddy who had a kidney stone, and he's like, it's just as painful as childbirth. I'm like, how would you know? I was like, don't tell your wife that. I know a kidney stone would knock you down. I know. A childbirth. Jesus says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. <laughs> the very point of pain becomes the point of blessing and pleasure. That's the transformation that occurs. Um, pregnancy is a very tough thing. Leslie is a very petite young lady. She's my wife. I love her tremendously. When we got married, uh, within just a couple of nine months of knowing each other, we met and got married, and then within a couple years we had kids and she was pregnant and you know we went to the doctor and the doctor said I'll be the first to tell you you're going to have twins and I'm like no 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 I said please do that thing again and let's check and then my wife just starts crying and she's like we can't have twins I don't know how to do it I said look what you're doing you're making my wife cry I said stop this I said go get a real doctor to get in here and get this done. And that person, boy, you would have thought they knew ninjutsu. They were like, I am the second opinion. This is what's happening. You're having twins. And I was like, oh, God have mercy. <laughs> and uh, we had twins. And Leslie was so pregnant, boy. I mean, she would walk like this. And her back hurt so bad. And she was laid up all the time. And whatever she asked for, I did for her. And she asked that chocolate mousse pie. I got it for her. And, and then the pregnancy just got big. She got bigger and bigger. And, and, you know, we get to the hospital. And I'm terrified. I, you know, I'm an outdoors guy. I hunt all the time. And so I had some semi-supportive buddies. But most of them, you know, they're like, are you still going to keep up your hunting schedule? And I'm like, well, we're about to have a baby. I got to be careful here, you know. And so I go in, and one of my hunting buddies is out the door, and he goes, hey, you going to go in and watch that? I said, I think so. And he goes, have you ever seen that thing? Have you ever seen a pregnancy? Have you ever seen a delivery? I said, no. And he goes, buddy, it's worse than gutting a deer. <laughs> he goes, I hope you have a strong stomach. I said, I'm fine. I walk in there, and 
things are going fine, and then all of a sudden we got two, you know, in there, and we can't get one of them out, and then all hell breaks loose. And then it's like, I don't know, the room got warmer, and then, and then there's just odors, and there's visual stuff going on. And I looked for a second, I got lightheaded, and the whole room just got black, and then I just, boom, I pass out. And the doctors got me on the head, and my head's against the bed, and I can feel my wife kneeing me, wake up! I <laughs> uh, passed out and uh, came back to it. And here's what I learned about that is the pain, the suffering became the point of pleasure. You hear those babies cry in their first vocal tones hit the earth, and you're like, man, what a joy. Jesus promised that there'd be transformation would happen. Look in verse 22. He said, so also you have sorrow now, but again, I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Uh, The sorrow that Jesus was talking about was absolutely the cross. And then there's joy. Joy is going to come. It's going to come in the resurrection to see Jesus face to face. Grab him and hug him and feel him and have a meal with him on the beach. Then sorrow will come when Jesus departs and he ascends into heaven. There's looking up, oh man, he's gone. Oh, jeez. And then there's going to be joy with the coming of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? The birth of the church. The pain becomes the point of pleasure. And and I believe this is so powerful for the Christian to grasp that the pain that you deal with, your prayers are oftentimes, take it from me, when really it should be transform this right now. This is why James could say, count it all joy, my brothers, my sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know what? It's going to produce something in you. So here's the deal. You look back at your life the last 12 months, 24 months, what, what was the hardship? What, what was the hard thing you went through? Guess what? That was the prescribed path to holiness. That was the blessing in disguise. God can take all things and work them to the good for those who love Christ Jesus. Amen? Uh, Like Joseph, what you intended for evil, God will intend for good. Amen? So So the theology, the mindset of the Christian has to be The pain that I encounter, whether it's done to me or whether I created it myself, God can use it. He's not going to just take it from me and then I'm just good. No, he's going to move into that pain and then he's going to transform it in the midst of it. That's the important Christian vision to have. And there's a promise of joy. Look in verse 23 through 24. Again, I think this all ties to the Holy Spirit. In that day, you'll ask nothing of me. When truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, uh, he's going to give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name because they're with him, because they don't need to pray to Jesus because he's right there. And he's saying, one day you're going to ask in my name. You're going to pray in Jesus' name. He says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be, help me out, what? My translation says full. Let's say that together. That your joy may be full. This is really good. This is, my, this is what helps me live as a Christian. That no matter how I feel, I go, this is what Jesus is teaching. What does this mean? This, what this means is that God actually wants you to be full of joy. You, as a Christian, should be, let's put it in very easy terms, the happiest person on the planet. It does not mean that you are devoid of all reality, that there is pain and suffering. It means that in the suffering, you can still find joy, peace, contentment. 
Jesus says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. In other words, it's possible. It's not every Christian's going to have this fullness of joy. I do not think this. You know and I know, this is just reality. Some believers you meet, you're like, man, did you see that hardship hit them like a Mack truck? But they still got joy. That's crazy. They've been unemployed for months, but they're not screaming and whining. There's peace and contentment in their life and trust in the Holy Spirit. Some people have it more than others. The word full in the Greek word is plero. Sounds like Valero, gas station. And I like that. I hope this sticks. In the New Testament, the word signifies completing or filling or reaching the fullness. When you go to fill up the truck, you put in the gas, and if you're not broke, you let it fill up. If you're broke, you're like, oh, snap, turn it off at 50 bucks. Because 50 bucks doesn't fill up the truck anymore. Try 100. My 30-gallon Tundra. But the word is full. It's topping it off. God's plan is for your joy. How can they have joy if Jesus isn't there? The Holy Spirit. How do you have joy as a believer if Jesus isn't there? It's the Holy Spirit. What's the plan? It's going to be full. You're going to be a person full of joy. Um, right now, we're getting all these storms, these rainstorms. And I was hunting yesterday, and man, it's muddy out there in the back country. And walking with all the mud on my boots, and it's just getting heavier and heavier. And I look up, and I see the mountains have got snow on them. I'm like, man, that's great. Here's a powerful illustration for you. The storms. The storms in our mountains, all the snow that are, is there is a good thing for us in our valley because the snow is going to, what's going to happen when the sun comes out? The snow is going to what? It's going to melt. And then guess what's going to happen? The, the snow is going to transform into the H2O and then fill up the reservoirs. And those reservoirs are going to bring life to the valley. Here's my point. The storm is transformed for a blessing. Sometimes you have to understand that there's going to be hardship, challenge, but God's point and purpose in it is he's going to transform it and then make you realize, man, there's so much joy to be had. And so you need to be able to go for it in the prayer of faith. Verse 25 through 28. Jesus is going to make an announcement here. Um, in my old high school, the, every once in a while, the principal would press the button. Back in my day, we did the Pledge of Allegiance. I don't know if <clears throat> we're doing that anymore. But we would have the, uh, they'd press the button, everybody would stand, do the Pledge of Allegiance, and then they'd make a few announcements. And uh, that would kind of prep us for the day. Hey, this Friday is field day, and this is what we're going to do. And everybody get excited and Jesus has got an announcement to make. Remember, this is kind of the last little instructions for these disciples. It's going to get pretty hairy. The hours are ticking. The minutes are ticking. Verse 25, he said, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. In other words, he's acknowledging, yeah, I've said some things and they're hard to understand. Um, he says, the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I'll tell you plainly about the Father. It's kind of like the high school teacher or college professor. It's like, hey, I know it's been a long semester. You guys have had a lot on your minds. You're, you know, getting ready for a transition break for the summer. And guess, you know, I thought about it. The exams are going to be real tough. I've provided some extra definitions to help you prep for your studies to kind of understand things. Jesus is literally kind of trying to minister to them to help them figure it out. Remember, he spoke in figures of speech. This was through his parables. Uh, remember in John, he said he's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the door. He's the good shepherd. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the true vine. And then he says, though, that these figures of speech, uh, they're not going to be used uh, 
for, uh, further, there'll be a time when it, they're going to not, Jesus isn't going to use the figures of speech. And what does he mean by that? It means he's leaving. And then he says, and then, but I'm going to speak plainly to you. Well, how's he going to speak plainly if he's not there? When you might say, well, and uh, the appearance after the resurrection, he's going to walk on the road to Emmaus and explain things. I agree with that. I think that's perhaps, perhaps what he's talking about. But here's what else he's talking about. I believe he's talking about, again, the work of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit, because it says, look what it says, the hour that is coming. That phrase, the hour that is coming, is associated with the coming of the Holy Spirit, the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to reveal truth to illuminate the mind. And so, in other words, what Jesus is saying, there's an hour coming when the figures of speech aren't going to be needed because I'm going to superintend, inspire the New Testament writers to write down and record everything we need to know about myself, God the Father, and everything else. Jesus says, I'll tell you plainly. I believe this refers to the idea that God's going to use the Holy Spirit to reveal things that were according to the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul says there were things that were hidden in the past, according to Ephesians and Colossians. They were not revealed. And Jesus is predicting that something's going to happen where the Spirit of God is going to plainly help people to understand the truth about who God is. And this is in your Bibles today. You have the Holy Spirit. If you look at the New Testament writers, the only ones that are using the figures of speech, it's predominantly Jesus. And so I believe what Jesus is saying is he's talking about the apostles. God's going to use them, the scriptures. We have 27 books in our New Testament, four gospels, which contain most all the figures of speech. We have another 23 remaining and they contain clear teaching about God and our relationship to him. And Jesus explains, you're going to ask and you're going to ask in my name. Verse 26, look what it says. He says, in that day you will ask in my name. That's the name of Jesus. And I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, you're going to ask, not me. As a kid, I remember... I had a big, I, uh, we, my brother and I, was, we would go out and every once in a while we'd be ordering food at a restaurant and my dad or mom would be doing something. They'd be sitting at one side of the table. We got five siblings and so, you know, I'd be sitting there and the waitress would come around or waiter would come around and take an order and then get to me and my older brother would be like, well, I'll take this and blah, blah, blah. And my little brother always ordered the same thing. We could be at the steak restaurant and he'll be like, I'd like a grilled cheese we're like, this is a steak restaurant. And uh, get to me, and then I'd order, and I wouldn't know what to say. And then my brother would say, order. You order. I'm not ordering for you. He would push me as an older brother to speak up. And Jesus is telling the disciples, I'm not going to do this for you. You're, you're going to do it. Um, what does this mean? This means that there's an incredible truth that you have direct access to God. You don't need a pastor. You don't need a priest. You don't need a pope. You've got direct access to God. You, you don't need me to pray for you so that you can get to God. You don't have to move like that. You, you can go in the name of Jesus. The uh, writer of Hebrews says that a, you can approach God's throne of grace with confidence as a believer that you can receive mercy and find grace in your time of need. And in John, 1 John, he says this, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, a God that we can ask anything according to his will and that he hears us. Um, and here's why you have it. This is very cool. Um, why do you have it? You have it because, verse 27 says this, it says, for the Father himself loves you because he loved me and have believed that I came from God. Verse 27, here's why you can move in the prayer of faith. You can do it because you, it says, because you have loved me, you love Jesus, and you believe. Um, furthermore, if look at, down at verse 28, I think this is the third reason that you can go in the prayer of faith. He says, uh, I came from the Father, meaning the incarnation, and have come into the world. 
and now I'm leaving. He's ascended. He will ascend. And will, will the world and going to the Father. What is that? I think what Jesus is doing is reminding them of three things. Faith, hope, and love. He's reminding them that they have faith, hope, and love. The essence of the Christian life is faith, hope, and love. The prayer of faith. Um, why can you go to God with direct access? Because if you love Jesus, man, God loves you. If you believe in Jesus, you're a believer. Uh, you have faith, hope, and love. That's incredible. This prayer of faith is possible um, because of that. Um, and then a couple other points here is there's the presumption of the disciples. They think that they get it. His disciples said in verse 29, his disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that all things uh, and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. In other words, the disciples are like, we get it, Jesus. We're cool here. This lecture's been going on long enough. We're good. We get it. And Jesus is like, oh, really? You get it, huh? You're truly a believer. You're solid. You're strong. You got this. Look what Jesus says, verse 31. Jesus answered them. I think this is a bit sarcasm. Do you, do you now believe? Uh, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. In other words, we're here. Guess what? When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's going to happen. Uh, the, I think it's a prophetic fulfillment of Zechariah when it says in Zechariah 13, 7, and strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Um, in other words, Jesus is saying, you're going to leave me. Um, but the truth is, is that Jesus isn't alone. The Father is with him in that garden. The truth is for you, when hardship comes, there's going to be people that promise that they're going to be there, but they're really not going to be there. But the good truth is, is that God is with you and you're never alone. Um, these disciples are a bit presumptuous, but Jesus offers them peace, the peace of Christ. In verse 33, look what it says. Verse 33, he says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Um, this peace is a kind of peace that really comes from Christ. Look what it says in the text again, that in me. It's not in the world, it's in Christ. The peace that you need is from Christ. Um, the word in the Greek language is Irenae, and it's a peace, a blessing. It's the word translated, if you translated it in the Hebrew, it would be shalom. And I've got a little saying in my office, and it says, shalom, y'all. And I love that idea that we need to have, we need to have this peace. And this peace is, it's this state of blessing or state of, of feeling favor with God. And Jesus says, in me you can have that peace. Uh, peace can't come from the world. And this is why we try to acquire peace that's a false peace from the world. Like, I got my bills paid. I've got my retirement set up. I've got my kids behaving. I've got this situation. That's not the kind of peace that we're talking about. The kind of peace that Jesus wants you to have. He says, in me, you're going to have peace. And in the world, you're going to have tribulation. So here's what happens. When you look to the world's circumstances and when it's a calm, and you think, I've finally got some peace in my life. Man, you were looking in the wrong direction. That, that wasn't the way it was supposed to go. Um, you can find comfort no matter whatever your circumstances are. It's in Christ, and this is why it's so important. Um, this is all part of the Holy Spirit, too, because remember what he said in John chapter 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, I do not give as the world gives. So, man, I mean, here's what you got going on for you today. You've got a promise that God says, I'll take that sorrow and I'm going to transform it into joy for you. And I don't want you just to have a little joy. I want you to have a fullness. In fact, in John chapter 15, Jesus says, the joy that is in me, I want it to be in you and I want it to be the, to the full. The word plero is there again. Full, completing, fill it up. I hope that we have these kinds of 
Christians in our church over the decades of, in the future, when the hardships and things heat up even more, this election season ought to be interesting. I pray to God that uh, we're known by our joy and our love, not our hatred or bigotry. Um, and we need to keep a peace in our life no matter what happens. We're going to find peace not in the world, but in Christ. And then here's the last point, and I'm going to invite the band up, is man, there is a perspective to keep. Like your mental mindset is so important. You, the Bible says that you set your mind not on things below, but you set your mind on things that are above. Get your mind right. The greatest commandment in all the scripture is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Get your mind right. This perspective to keep, look what Jesus says, in the world you're going to have tribulation, but take heart. In other words, be of good cheer in some of your translations. I have overcome the world. Jesus overcame the world through his death. Uh, Jesus defeated the power of sin and Satan at the cross. Um, What looks like a symbol of shame and is a symbol of shame and disappointment and discouragement, guess what? The cross is transformed. The image is transformed as an incredible symbol of God's love. The cross is transformed. The very object of pain is transformed into an object of blessing, so much so that we wear them on our necks today because to us, the cross means forgiveness. To us, the cross means uh, uh, salvation. To us, the cross means hope, a second chance. So Jesus defeated the power of sin at the cross. He defeated Satan at the cross. Colossians says that he disarmed the powers and authorities and made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them by the cross. And Jesus is, he says, I have overcome the world. He overcame the world through the resurrection. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in me, even though he dies, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. In other words, because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, He demonstrated power over death. And then he says, if you believe in me, you're never going to die. And so as a believer, man, you live forever. This whole life, whatever your suffering is, whatever your hardship is, it's this little tiny dot in the span of eternity. And, And in the midst of all of that, you say, I will live forever. If you believe the scriptures, if you believe what Jesus says, that's what it's saying. And we will recognize one another. There will be purpose and meaning and blessing. And so you keep your mindset. You keep the right perspective. You don't become overcome with this world. You will either be overcome in this world or you will be an overcomer. When COVID hit, I told our church you were there Many of you, I said, we will either get creative and move through or we will be crushed. And churches that didn't get creative, they got crushed. And as a believer, you have to take this message as a wonderful message because it's Jesus' words about the Holy Spirit and suffering and hardship. But in the midst of it, he's saying, in the world, you're going to have tribulation, but in me, there's joy. Um, in closing I want to just encourage you and challenge you I'm going to ask if you'll stand up for a moment go ahead and stand up I want to read to you a passage of scripture from John I love what he says here in 1 John 5 4 3 he says everyone born of God this means if you're a believer overcomes the world and then he says this is the victory that has overcome the world even our faith who is it that overcomes the world it's only the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God So you are an overcomer. Um, Let me tell you what you're not. Um, You are not an accident. You are not powerless to change. Whatever addiction, whatever struggle that you have, you are not powerless. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, listen, you are never too far gone. You are not too much for God. You don't wear him out. You are also not the summation of your accomplishments. So if you feel like you haven't achieved enough, earned enough, 
You're not the summation of that. And you're not the lack of. You're, you are also not, help me out here, listen, you are not what you feel. Whatever you feel, that is not what you are. You were not born in the wrong body. You were not born in the wrong family. You were not born at the wrong time, wishing for another time in a season. You are not a victim. You are not without hope, faith. You are not without hope. You are not without love. You are not unforgivable, no matter what you've done. You are not unwanted. You are not unloved. You are not un. You may feel unfaithful. And you have been, but you've never been unloved. You may be unfaithful, but you're not unloved. You may have been unreasonable, very difficult. You may have been unrighteous. You may have been unreachable. You may have been unteachable. But you've never gone a day in your life unloved. You may feel undeserving and unworthy, but you need to know you are loved. You're made in the image of God. You are his son. You're his daughter of the high king of heaven. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are cherished. You are saved. You are set apart. You are chosen. You're filled and you are sealed by the spirit of God. You're a member of his family. You have been found with favor. You have been appointed and anointed to share and show the love of Christ. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You've been given a purpose and a plan, a hope and a future. The Bible says that you've been given all authority and you will be given glory. It's through Jesus' name. You are not, ladies and gentlemen, some kind of victim. You have incredible victory through Jesus Christ. You are not overcome. You are an overcomer. Heavenly Father, I pray that every man, woman, and young person here in the room, if they would believe it, might they receive it. These are your words. Boy, do you call us up. Lord, as we come ready for communion in this moment, we remember the sacrifice that was made and that cross that was a symbol of shame is now a symbol of hope. Transform sorrow into joy. Father, whatever sorrow that we have today, we bring it to you and say, transform it in the mighty name of Jesus. Give me the faith to believe. Thank you that you love me. Thank you I have hope. I have a future. And Father, give us a new mindset, a renewed vision for life. In Jesus' name, we love you. And everybody said, amen. Hey, just a moment. You can come forward and receive communion.